it's an honor, it's a pleasure for, for Dan to be able to speak. Dan spoke at a bunch of different times at our church, and Dan and Gretchen and, uh, has been just a, a huge part of our church and leadership, and, and Dan, you, you were a youth pastor for years and years and years, and uh, so got a lot of experience just with ministry and speaking, and I'm so glad that he's here to, uh, to lead us this morning. So will you give Dan a hand as he preaches? They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Thank you, Allie. That's my daughter, Allie, my oldest daughter. She's, uh, she's awesome. Um, when I was a little kid, uh, six, seven years old, I wanted to be Batman. And at any given time, if you could go back in a time machine, which would be really embarrassing and funny because you would see this little kid running around the house, you know, shadow boxing things that weren't there, kicking things that weren't there, believing in his little mind that he actually knew jujitsu and karate and all these things that Batman knew, you know. And of course, there's nobody there. I wasn't fighting anybody, so that would make a pretty, pretty awesome YouTube video right now. But uh, one of the things I would do as a little kid is I would go into the linen closet where the bed spread, the sheets were and whatnot, and I'd always grab one of them. Now, my mother didn't like that. I wasn't supposed to do that, but that's kind of what being Batman is, right? Like, Batman's sort of doing stuff that's illegal. He's sort of in cahoots with the police, but you know, he's gotta stay kind of behind the scenes with that. So 
you know, you got to have a little bit of this illegality of what you're doing. So I would take these sheets without my mother's permission, and I would take corners of them, and I would tie them around my neck nice and tight, and that was my cape, right? And I would run around, and I would fight crime. And you'd, you'd be surprised how much crime was around my house from there. I mean, how many bad guys and how many things I had to deal with. It was a daily thing, right? So, and the other thing is, I just, I, I loved the show Batman, the, this old 70s one with Adam West, the real campy, not meant to be taken serious show. As a little kid, I took that serious, okay? I didn't know enough to know that that's what it was. So I just, I wanted to be him. And I think when I kind of, suited up and I put my stuff on and I would put like sometimes I would cut holes out of a sock and put it around my head so I had holes and it. anyway I'm being Batman one day and I'm running around the house I'm sure I was going after somebody really bad and as I turn the corner somehow somehow this cape flowing behind me got stuck in the fence and I did like what a dog does when it gets to the end of its chain and after it's running after a truck or something and the legs go straight up in the air. My legs were up above my head, okay? So I was like literally, kind of like, like uh, Charlie Brown when he goes to kick the football and it always gets taken away and his feet end up way over his head. That was me, okay? Slammed to the ground, obviously my neck hurt, everything. And I'm laying there and as a little kid with my little kid mind, I was kind of thinking, man, I, maybe I just shouldn't be Batman. And then I thought to myself, I wonder if Batman ever goes through this. I, you never see him get, you know, snagged with his cape. I did try one other thing one time, is I took the cape and I pinned it. I, I used safety pins on my shirt, because I thought that would work better. Sure enough, it happened again where I got caught. This time I didn't necessarily you know, go feet over my head, but it did jerk me back, and this time what it did is I fell, but it jerked my shirt up over my head, kind of in a way that my arms were stuck over my head, kind of like, you know, right, right before a hockey fight when they pull their shirts up, and so there I'm laying there with my shirt over my head, pretty embarrassed and thinking maybe Batman's not my gig. I, I wore, I got to show you this. I have no idea why I wore this this morning, except that I, I just, I thought, you know, if I had this t-shirt when I was a little kid, you would not have been able to remove it from me. I, you would have had to kill me and get it off me. Anyway, I say all that to say this morning we're going to talk about the ultimate superhero. That's the name of my message, the ultimate superhero. Um, it's kind of, kind of, the timing's pretty good, too, with all the Avengers movies and all the stuff that Marvel's been doing and DC's trying to keep up with them. And <laughs> if you're into that stuff, DC's not doing as good a job. And, uh, and I say that as a full-on DC guy and Batman guy. Um, but today, today we're, we're talking about Jesus as the, the ultimate superhero. Now, before we get into the story we read, this story that Ali read is definitely cause for a lot of skepticism towards the Bible. This is definitely going to be one of the stories that many critics, uh, atheistic, agnostic, scientific, whatever you want to say, I'm not going to say they're all bad people or anything like that, but that what they do is it's stories like this that give them a bias against Scripture. Now, I only want to say that this is sort of a sidebar. This isn't what I came to tell you this morning. This is a sidebar. I just didn't have anywhere else to put it in my message, but I wanted to say it. 
The Bible, this book that we read, it's actually many books that we read, technically, scientifically, if you consider archaeology, I want to say archaeological, finds science, this is sound. This is sound. When people argue about the Bible and saying if it's right or wrong, they're not coming from a scientific archaeological method to say, Look, look at the stuff you guys found. This stuff is garbage. You can't trust what you're reading. I would say that would be a better argument against Scripture, but they don't have it. What we have is sound historical stuff. What we read here, we can trust, is what they wrote back then. Now, it doesn't make it all right or real. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that scientifically, this book is sound. It's the stories in it that make people say that can't be true. Stories like what we just read about this guy, this demoniac, they call him, that approached Jesus. Let's, let's get into this story a little bit. I got, I'm going to be talking fast because I'm looking at the clock and I'm going, whoo, boy, I got to get to my points here. So we'll just kind of brisk the story, but what an awesome, like, superhero story, right? These poor disciples, okay? These guys, we, we, we started the story. You can see it where they get, they're on the shore, right? They get on the shore. It was a long night. Some of you may not know that the chapter before, Mark 4, is where they just went through a horrible storm, and Jesus was asleep in the boat, okay? Not worried at all. And these guys, it was the story where these guys say, don't you care, Jesus? Aren't you going to do anything? Jesus gets up, totally calms the storm. And we'll talk about it in a minute, but a really interesting part of that is the Bible says the disciples were more afraid after he calmed the storm. Pretty interesting. Then, now, after a long night, not much sleep, they get on the shore, and here's this nut, this crazy guy running at them from out of the tombs. Now, I want you to just kind of embrace this for a second. It's not the nicest thing to embrace, but I want you to kind of think about this for a second. This guy, this demoniac, is the stuff of horror movies. He had, it, the Bible says his dwelling was there. So when it uses the word dwell, it doesn't just mean he hangs out there. He set up a spot there to live in the tombs. Okay, that's a strange thing right off the get. That makes for a good scary story for the kids right off the bat, right? You could just tell people would probably be like, don't go near the tombs. There's this guy there. We're not sure what he'll do. The Bible says that he would spend day and night screaming out and cutting himself. Okay, picture this guy. Now, that's, that's fine. We would just, I mean, we've probably seen things like that similar here in Eugene, um, here's, where, here's where it takes another step. This is where it takes another step. It says that nobody could bind him up. So he had sort of like a superhuman strength. Nobody could, he, if they shackled him, he'd break through the shackles. I mean, this is like Incredible Hulk kind of stuff. This guy has superhuman strength. He's cutting himself and screaming out. It says he's been naked for years which is a whole nother ball game. And, and he's been cutting himself. So he's, he's probably got dried blood all over him. And he probably hasn't been to the barber in a long time. Okay? I'm just trying to set this up for you. This is a scary dude. 
This is weird stuff, really weird stuff. And now these disciples are getting the boats on the shore or whatever they're doing. I don't know what they did with the boats. But they, they're on the shore. They're tired from a long night. And here comes this guy screaming and yelling, and he's coming. And these guys probably even have heard of this guy before. And now, can you imagine the fear? Can you imagine, like, what's, gonna, what's about to happen? It wasn't bad enough that we went through the storms, but now there's this guy. What I love about this story, just, like, just rocks me, is how this guy just basically falls prostrate before Jesus and begs Jesus, begs Jesus not to torment him. Not only that, and, I, and man, I really want to get to my points here, but I just love this story. Not only that, but it talks about, let me, let me see where he says, um, he says, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what do I have to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. Catch that for just a sec here. We're, so not only is he scared to death, this, this demoniac, this crazy guy who's able to break through you know, shackles and things that they bind him up with, but he's afraid of Jesus, and he knows who Jesus is. I don't know if when Allie read that, did you notice that? These guys knew who Jesus was probably better than the disciples did. Jesus asks the guy what his name is. I think in a loving way, Jesus is talking to the guy, not the demons, but that's just my own personal thing, and the demons speak up right away, and they say, we're legion, and if you don't know what a legion was, you can do some research on it. There's different ideas about the number of how many uh, army men are in a legion. But normally 6,000 is the agreed upon close number. So we're not just, they don't, you know, the Bible doesn't just use language flippantly. The fact that he's saying he's legion, there's at least 6,000 demons in this guy. An army of demons. And they are begging Jesus to be okay with them. I want you also to see that there's not a fight here. This is not like this incredible big fight between good and evil. It wasn't like the movies where Jesus is going, in the name of me, get out, right? He, that's not what Jesus was doing. It wasn't like this back and forth battle. No, get out. No, we're going to stay. No, get out. No, that's not how it worked. If it took any time at all, it's only because these demons were just begging, can we be sent somewhere other than wherever the dry place is or whatever that scary place was? That, the only debate was where should we go, Jesus, not should we go. It was where, where can we go? And Jesus sends them out to the, the swine, a whole other weird thing. I'm not exactly sure about that. Lots of commentary. I've had lots of teaching. I, everybody has a different opinion on why that was the way it was. The only thing I kind of like to kind of land on is I find it interesting that it was an entire herd of swine. Maybe that was the idea of that was just to show just how many of these creature demon things were in this guy. I, I don't know. You can do a study on that. I need to move on. Um, what I, I just want to, for time, I have four points of interest that are just... Uh, I don't know how profound they're going to be. They were profound to me. I'm, I'm giving you four points of stuff that are things that I've gathered in the last couple years as I've studied this. They're things that when I, when I kind of looked at them, they hit me pretty hard. But it's kind of like, you know, like a comedian when he goes to tell a joke. He's not sure if it's funny yet until he throws it out there. If nobody laughs, guess what? It's not that funny. For me, this is profound stuff. As I give it to you, I have to just trust. And I've been praying 
that God will do something in your hearts. Now, all four of them don't necessarily go together, so maybe if you don't like one, you might like two. Maybe three will be better for you. Maybe you came here and you needed to hear four. You see what I'm saying? So I'm just going to go through them real fast and, uh, and see if any of them hit you like they hit me. First point of interest is who is this guy? The disciples, no doubt, after, after seeing what Jesus did with the storm and now seeing this demoniac fall in their face before Jesus, they had to have been saying, who is this guy? I mean, even when they started postulating and thinking different things of, hey, maybe I kind of understand who Jesus is, this, these moments like this had to have just really gone into their mind and Man, who is this guy? And I want to tell you right now, it is the, one of the best and most important questions of our time. Right now, it's probably the most important question you could possibly think about. Who is this guy? Who is Jesus? One of the most foolish things that I see, and, and not, not, not just with the younger generation, because certainly the older generation does this too, but one of the most foolish things I see today is this sort of, I'm just kind of floating through life, making my own rules, the whole YOLO thing. You only live once, so you might as well enjoy it now, right? You might as well enjoy your stuff now. You might as well go ahead and have that fourth piece of cake. Go ahead and, you know, do this, do that. Go ahead and have fun, even though maybe, maybe there's something in your spirit saying you shouldn't do that or whatever. You only live once, so you might as well just do it. And there's no thought to eternity. There's no thought to the possibility that there's other realms, that there's something else going on in this world. These guys had it right in their face that there's something bigger going on, right? Here's Jesus. They're, obviously, if you're walking in the mall with a friend and somebody else comes up and falls flat on their face before your friend and says, please, oh, Lord, all this stuff, you're, you're at least going to go, uh, do we know each other? Like, what? What's with my friend here? That's what's happening with Jesus. They had to have been like, who is this guy? It is the most important question that you need to deal with. Because even if you don't like him, even if you're not sure if you trust him, it doesn't matter. There was a guy named Jesus Christ who walked this earth. He was on this planet. And the Bible, and like I already said, the, the, there's credit to what we read in the Bible. That what those words are, what Jesus said, what he did who he affected, really happened. If that's the case, then you, and I'm sorry to say, but that's, that's what I'm here to tell you, you need to deal with that. You need to deal in your life with who that guy is. Because he said, he said it, not me, so if it's offensive, you can be offended at him. He's the one that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Through me. Who he is matters. Who he is matters. Who is this guy? The second point. You guys remember the no fear slogan? My second point is no fear. You guys remember that? It was like in the 90s. They made like a cool little logo. And it was sort of for extreme sports and whatnot. When I think of the no fear logo, I think of a guy named Miles Rockwell. This guy, Miles Rockwell, was a downhill mountain bike racer. And... It was right at the time when I was starting to get into serious mountain biking. And to make the story short, he was winning like a lot of races in a row. And he had just won a big race at Mammoth Mountain in California. And, you know, they timed it. Like he, was, he hit 70 miles an hour at one point going down these rocky roads. It was crazy. Really, really wild how fast these guys were going. 
And the lady who was interviewing him said to him, you know, we talked to some of these other guys, and it all seems to be sort of a, a general consensus that you really have to have no fear to go down these hills as fast as you guys are going. Now, keep in mind, Miles Rockwell has beat all these guys. He's, he's been winning. And she says, is that kind of what you agree with? And he kind of just said, well, if they're not afraid, they probably should be going faster because none of them are beating me. That's what he, it was the coolest answer. And what he basically said is, I, I actually thrive on fear. I like the fear. No fear sounds boring to me. And, and that's kind of what he did. And I, probably the no fear slogan and probably the, some of his, um, you know, people who were sponsoring him didn't like him saying that, but it was a pretty cool answer. But I want you to see Jesus, it's not in his gearing to fear like man does. It's not in his gearing to fear. That's my king, my Lord, Jesus Christ, when I live for the best I possibly can, is not afraid of anything. I'll give him one moment that maybe he looked like he was a little bit afraid when he was in the garden praying right before he was crucified. He might, he, you know, the man in him was coming out and stuff. And I'll say, you know, hey, I'll give him a break on that one. He was about to be crucified, okay? But my Jesus is not afraid. My Jesus is not afraid of anything. If you are here and you've given your life to the Lord and you're someone that would, would call yourself a Christian, you would call yourself someone who's like me, doing the best you can to, to make Jesus Lord of your life, I want to suggest that you have somebody you can cling to who's not afraid when you're afraid. I think about like times back in my, when I, my high school days when we, a bunch of friends, we'd go into a, a haunted house, you know, and you'd always hope like some kind of cute girl would go with you because she would cling to your arm as you're going through and you would act like you weren't scared, you know. There's nothing stupid. Ha, ha, ha. You'd laugh at stuff that you're afraid of. Like, ha, ha, look at that guy jumping out at me. And she would hold, you know, your arm. And I'm, I'm joking, but that's, we have somebody to cling to. I want to do something. I want to make this a little bit interactive. It might be uncomfortable, but it shouldn't be too bad. In the next 10 to 20 seconds, I want you to think of something in your life that scares you or that you're afraid of. Something that's just been bringing you stress. Something that's been bringing fear. It could be a situation, it could be financial, it could be health, it could be something happening in your family, it could be any, anything that you know in your heart, hey, this is one of those things that's been causing me fear. Just, I'm going to give you 10 more seconds. I actually want to, I just want to pray over that right now. Okay, and I'm not saying it's just going to go away like that. You'll hear what I'm going to pray about in a sec, okay? If you all have something, maybe not everybody will have something in their mind, but some of you need this. Father, um... All kinds of different situations have just been brought up in people's minds. And Lord, I know they're not just necessarily going to just go away. But would you help each person who's thought of something to cling to you, to realize that you're not afraid, that you're in control. And whatever that crazy peace that you have, whatever that crazy peace that you have over that situation, will you bring it to them? Would you bring it to all of us? The peace that you have, would you bring it? Amen. Number three, real quick. My point, number three, this is something that hit me, is that anybody can change. Anyone can change. Now that first means us, if there's something you're struggling with in your life that just seems like it's not going away. With Jesus, anything can change. Anyone can change. But also, that person that you maybe you've been praying for, or that person at work, or maybe it's a husband or wife, or it's a 
it's one of your kids or all of your kids or maybe it's relatives or friends or somebody that you've been praying for. Maybe it's somebody that you've stopped praying for because you just thought it ain't happening. It's not going to happen. This story to me shows that anybody can change. Anybody can change. I want to do what we just did again. I want you in your mind, let, let somebody pop up in your mind that you feel like can't, is just not changing. Maybe it's somebody you've been praying for. Maybe it's somebody that just you had prayed for and now you've stopped, like I said. Let, those, let some people come up and I just want to pray for them. I want to pray for them. Okay? Father, right now, there are people popping up in the minds of your people here in this room and I just want to pray for them. You love them and anyone can change, Lord, with you. Would you help us be vessels to help that change or just continue to pray or not give up hope? Whatever it is, Lord, I just pray for those people. Last point, last point. Is the cross. For me, guys, the whole story of the cross takes a whole new context with this story. Think about this, okay? Obviously, when we think about the cross and, and the disciples seeing Jesus get put to the cross, right? Obviously, they had to have been despairing in their hearts, right? But think about it in context of these stories. They've seen Jesus calm the storm, totally calm the storm. He's in control of all that. They've seen Jesus in control of a whole other realm of evil and whatnot, total control. So for them to see Jesus now put on a cross, where did that go? Where did his control go? Can you imagine the despair of this is the same guy, isn't it? Isn't this the same guy that was able to just stand up before all of hell and, and, and they bowed before him and now he's on a cross? Can you imagine that? That level of despair had to have been so deep, right? But here's where it spins into something awesome. To me... That means Jesus went to the cross. He didn't get drugged there. He didn't get pulled there. I, I could lose it. He went there for you and me. It was of his own volition. If he has all this control, it meant he had control that day too. Do not listen to any other kind of lie that says not. He had control. He went to the cross for you. He went to the cross for me. If he was scared about something, it was only the fact that, man, for a little while here, I'm going to have to let these guys do some stuff to me that I'm not used to letting things do to me. You see what I'm saying? He went there for you. The band can start coming up. We're going we're gonna to transition uh, and go into communion and finish this with communion. And my, my, just, my offer as we do this um, to end this is... I, you know, all of these things, maybe one you needed to hear, maybe two of them, whatever. On this one, as you go to take communion this morning, I just want to suggest that you think about that, what we just talked about, that Jesus went to the cross for you. I know that sounds simple to say, but it blows me away. It knocks me out to think about that. And maybe as you take communion, communion could be maybe just a smidge more special to you this morning as we go. Jesus, we know you're here with us this morning. Lord, and those, those prayers that Dan led us in, just with the fear that we experience, 
Lord, we know that we can cling to you. <laughs> and Lord, the, the people that we feel like are, are too far gone, um, Lord, nothing's impossible with you. And so, Lord, we remember that today. Lord, and, we, and Lord, we remember, Jesus, that you are, you are king over the cosmos, and yet you humbled yourself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. <laughs> and because of that, Lord, every, that means that you're worthy. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that you're Lord. Lord, because you're just so good because you gave your life for us. Lord, we pray that that would resonate in us this morning. It would transform us. It would make us new. Lord, it would change the way that we see you. It would change the way that we see our fears and our, see our insecurities in our lives. And it would change the way that we see our jobs. And it would give us courage as we go out and face things um, that, uh, that, we, that, we might, that might feel like they're impossible or too big for us. Lord, thank you that you're with us and you go before us. Lord, we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.